Good morning, everyone. Sorry, I hear people giggling because I always have water, but my mouth gets dry. Um, If you have your Bibles, uh, I would invite you to turn them to Romans chapter 4. We'll be reading verses 1 through 8 in a little bit. Um, As you do that, uh, it's nice to see you all. I didn't expect to be up here so soon. Um, My name's Tyler. I'm the associate pastor of youth and community groups here. This week, uh, as Melissa mentioned during the announcements, uh, I am preaching because Matt and his family are at a funeral for his father-in-law. So our prayers are with them. Um, I will pray for him as well in just a moment. Uh, But because of that, I learned I was preaching on Wednesday, uh, which is a little bit less heads up than I usually have uh, or would prefer. Um, So this week, I will be preaching the first sermon I ever preached. Um, it wasn't the one I did here like a year and a half ago. Uh, this one's from about two years ago in Coon Rapids. Um, and it's about faith and works. Uh, you'll see the title of it is What Faith Does. And uh, here's, here's the story. Here's how this sermon came about. Um, two years ago, I was in a Gospels class in my Masters of Divinity program. And it really like intensified the way I think that I think about Jesus. Um, before that class, I had heard all of the wonderful terms about Jesus and believed to them, um, that he is my savior, my Lord, my king, all of those wonderful things. Um, but I had never really differentiated between them. They were good terms that I knew were true. Um, this has a point to it, by the way. This will come back. Um, but going into that class, I knew those terms. I didn't know how to make sense of them or how to put them all together. And, and that class like flipped my thinking. It, it was one of the most helpful classes I took in my master's program, which, go figure, a gospels class was helpful. Um, specifically, the most helpful thing in that class was learning what it means for Jesus to be my savior and what it means for him to be my Lord. Um, Jesus is my savior. I, I think I've had that for most of my life. Like I've... I've understood that to varying degrees since I was two years old. Jesus is the one who saves me from all of my sins. He is my only hope. Um, If you were here last week, um, I preached about Nahum, uh, which is a very almost scary uh, description of the wrath of God. And Jesus is the only chance we have to be with God and be saved from the wrath that we deserve because of our sins. That's what it means for him to be my savior. That class taught me that Jesus is also my Lord. Well, not taught me, but helped me get the picture that Jesus is also my Lord. Um, he, to, to know that he has saved me from the wrath of God, that's true. Like that's, that's beautiful and wonderful. And I am so incredibly grateful for that. But Jesus is even more than that. Jesus is also the one that we wake up every single day and follow. Like, it, when I preached this two years ago, I, I talked about uh, the, the church that I was at was talking about kingship a lot. And what the king thinks and believes, especially 2,000 years ago, really impacted the way you live your life. That is how our relationship with Jesus should play out, that every day we wake up and it impacts our life. All of that was swirling in my head two years ago, and I didn't know how to put that into words. Um, and it wasn't just that. I also was a youth pastor here two years ago, talking with my kids about salvation a lot. Um, maybe they were some of your kids. Uh, they were asking me how salvation works. They were asking me, can you lose your salvation? Which, side note, is not 
going to be one of the things I talk about today. I don't feel qualified for that. Um, but I had these this reframed and, and, and more intensified picture of Jesus growing within me, and I had all of these questions about salvation swirling around in my head. And into that, I read two passages back to back. I think it was the same day. And it like, it confused me, as most of my sermon topics do. Um, I read James chapter two for my like personal Bible reading for that day. And I read Romans four because I was teaching the kids a Bible study about Romans. Um, and you'll see as we read this, um, it was, it was a bit confusing for me to read both of those chapters in the same day. And I, I spent multiple weeks to a month working to see how they fit together. Um, that's where the sermon was birthed. Like those were the waters out of which this came. Um, I think the best way to go about this, to, to, to get the picture of why this swirled around in my brain for months, uh, is going to be to read Romans 4 talk about the picture it's painting of salvation and then add James 2 to the discussion and look at them next to each other as I was forced to do. So if you're able, uh, would you stand in honor of God and his word? I'm going to read Romans chapter 4 verses 1 through 8 uh, and then I'm going to pray. So this is Paul. This is Romans chapter 4 and it says, what then shall we say that Abraham, our forefather according to the flesh, discovered in this matter? If, in fact, Abraham was justified by works, he had something to boast about, but not before God. But what does Scripture say? Abraham believed God, and it was credited to him as righteousness. Now to the one who works, wages are not credited as a gift, but as an obligation. However, to the one who does not work, but trusts the God who justifies the ungodly, their faith is credited as righteousness. David says the same thing when he speaks of the blessedness of the one to whom God credits righteousness apart from works. Blessed are those whose transgressions are forgiven, whose sins are covered. Blessed is the one whose sin the Lord will never count against them. Dear Lord, I need you every week. Um, I need you this morning. Um, I pray for strength. I pray for wisdom. I pray for your words, Holy Spirit. Um, And I pray for Matt. I pray that you'll be with his family as they travel home today. Um, I pray that the funeral this weekend was, I pray that it was a joyful time for them as they celebrate Matt's father-in-law who's home with you now. Um, I pray that you'll get him back here safely uh, and his family as well. And I pray that again, Lord, your spirit will speak through me this morning because it's you just as much today as it is when I have months to prepare. So I love you, Lord. Bless this time in your name. Amen. You guys can sit down. So, what is Paul saying about salvation in Romans 4, 1 through 8? Um, To say it as simply as possible, we are saved by faith alone. Uh, And I will say we're saved by faith alone, just like Abraham was. Um, Paul, in verse 3, quotes Genesis. Uh, Genesis 15, 6 says, Abraham believed God and it was credited to him as righteousness. Uh, he's making the point that even, even Abraham, like even the father of the Jewish nation, we'll, we'll talk more about this in a second, but even the, like, the standard for a Jewish person looking back, even he did nothing to earn his salvation. It was all by faith. Um, that is pretty, 
I would say par for the course. Uh, most of you who are here probably are on board with that. Um, if you're not, I'm so glad you're here um, to listen to me talk about faith and works. Um, but that was the one I read that, and that was, again, I got that, got that in my head. I've had lots of school teaching me that. Um, now I'm going to read James 2. Uh, I'm going to read James 2. I'm going to read verses 14 through 26. Uh, you can turn there if you want. The words will also be on the screen. Um, and this is, it's 13 verses. It's kind of a long section. Um, but I'm going to read the whole thing because I think it can be really easy to read chunks of this section out of context. So this is James 2, verses 14 through 26. This is from James. He says, What good is it, my brothers and sisters, if someone claims to have faith but has no deeds? Can such faith save them? Suppose a brother or a sister is without clothes and daily food. If one of you says to them, go in peace, keep warm and well-fed, but does nothing about their physical needs, what good is it? In the same way, faith by itself, if it's not accompanied by action, is dead. But someone will say, you have faith, I have deeds. Show me your faith without deeds, and I will show you my faith by my deeds. You believe that there's one God. Good. Even the demons believe that, and they shudder. You foolish person, do you want evidence that faith without deeds is useless? Was not our father Abraham considered righteous for what he did when he offered his son Isaac on the altar? You see that his faith and his actions were working together, and his faith was made complete by what he did. And the scripture was fulfilled that says, Abraham believed God, and it was credited to him as righteousness, and he was called God's friend. You see that a person is considered righteous by what they do, and not by faith alone. In the same way was not even Rahab the prostitute considered righteous for what she did when she gave lodging to the spies and sent them off in a different direction. That's from Joshua. As the body without the spirit is dead, so faith without deeds is dead. So, especially coming from Romans 4, James 2 kind of throws you for a loop. At least it threw me for a loop. Because initial reaction, like quick twitch when I read that, it looks like he's contradicting Paul. It, it looks like he's saying that salvation is a faith and works mixture, that, that that's how people are saved. Um, and even more confusingly, his Old Testament reference, like the, the verse that he quotes, is the same as Paul. He quotes Genesis fifteen six. He says, Abraham believed God, and it was credited to him as righteousness, and uses that to say that a person is considered righteous by what they do and not by faith alone. It just it, it adds a very interesting dynamic to the discussion. Um, so what's going on? Like, is this a contradiction? Um, if if you know the name Martin Luther, uh, many of you maybe do. Uh, like Lutheran churches, uh, Martin Luther was like the father of the Reformation about 500 years ago. Uh, a big reason why we're not all Catholic right now. Um, Martin Luther, I think we have to say, thought there was a contradiction here because he wanted James out of the Bible because of passages like this. So what's happening? Um, I will give you my, my spoiler alert. Uh, I am a free church pastor. I believe that the Bible is God's authoritative word. Um, I don't think these passages contradict each other. Um, and actually, I think it's helpful that we have both of these. Like, I think it's really helpful that we have Romans 4 and James 2 because 
I think we get a fuller picture of biblical faith with both of these than we would with just one of them. To understand how that's true, uh, to understand how they fit together, we really need to get their context. Like, we need Paul and James's circumstances. Um, so, I, I, side note, I just love context in general. Uh, one of the pluses of doing a bunch of one-off sermons is that I get an excuse to talk about the biblical context a lot. Um, so if that's not interesting to you, I apologize, but I think it's what we need to do in, in a scenario like this. So, Let's talk about the context of Romans first. Let's talk about Paul's context. Uh, Paul is writing the book of Romans to the Christian church in Rome. Um, Rome, the the capital of the Roman Empire, Rome, the the referent of the saying, all roads lead to Rome. That's who this letter is to, that Paul's writing in Romans. Um, And an interesting thing about the Romans is that Paul has never met them. This is different than most of Paul's letters. Most of the letters Paul writes that we have in the Bible are a church that he probably planted, maybe spent some time there, uh, and then he goes away and writes them a letter. Maybe it's an encouragement, maybe it's an exhortation, sometimes it's a rebuke. Um, not the case with Rome. Uh, he's, he's, he didn't plant the Roman church, uh, most of the people he's never met. And so his letters got a couple purposes. Uh, for one, he wants to introduce himself and introduce the gospel of Jesus Christ. Like he, he's introducing himself and his message. He's also likely planting some seeds. Um, he, he's hoping that when he goes there, he'll be received well. Maybe they'll help him on his missionary journey. Um, that's his goal. A little bit different from a lot of his letters. But because this is his goal, because he's writing to a people that have never met him, maybe don't have a full or accurate understanding of his message we get in Romans like the fullest gospel presentation that Paul gives. It's super cool. Like the first eight chapters are like a cohesive, tight, very deep, beautiful gospel presentation. And then the rest of the book is like, what do we do about this? How do we live it out? It, it's, it's a masterpiece. Like that, that's the best way to say it. R- Romans is a masterpiece. Um, and more than just, more than, to say more than simply he's writing to the Romans, He's writing to a mixed group of people. Um, he's writing to a, book, a group of people that are both Jew and non-Jew. They're both Jew and Gentile. And a fair number of them, especially the Jews, maybe some of the Gentiles too, but especially the Jews, would have been brought up with this mentality that you could be saved by what you do. That by following the law, uh, keep, keeping the laws of the Old Testament of the Torah, that you could be made right with God. And their evidence for this, like their, their, their referent, like their, their works-cited page, was Abraham. Um, Abraham, father of the Jewish nation, uh, the one to whom God said, your, na- your descendants will be like the stars in the sky. Um, they used him as their example. And they said, look, look at Abraham in Genesis. God comes to him and says, you'll be the father of uh, a great nation. Now get circumcised. And they looked at Abraham and they said, see, Abraham was made right with God because he took the action of getting circumcised. Paul's refuting that. Um, This would have been heavy on Paul's mind as he was writing Romans, uh, and he's refuting work salvation. Um, He's explaining that every single human being is only saved by grace through faith, Abraham included. 
And his work cited, like his reference, is Genesis 15, 6, that Abraham believed God and it was credited to him as righteousness. That three chapters before he gets circumcised in Genesis 18, in Genesis 15, it's, it's already written that Abraham believed God and it was credited to him as righteousness. This is what Paul's doing. Like this is, this is the context of Romans 4, that people believed that, yeah, we, could, we can get saved by what we do. Look at Abraham. And Paul says, no, no, no. Even starting with Abraham, it's always been faith. It's, it's always been the grace of God through faith. That's Paul's context, and it's quite different from James's. Um, James is writing a letter. Uh, we, we have a little bit less information on this, but I'm, I think I'm standing on pretty firm ground when I say James is writing most likely to Christian Jews. Um, and specifically, he was writing to Christian Jews that were teaching that if you were saved by faith, you were exempt from anything else. That once you put your faith in God and said, yes, Jesus, I'm following you and I believe in you, then you could just go and do whatever you want. Um, one of the, the best ways I heard it said was that James was writing to a group of people, a lot of whom thought that you weren't just saved by faith alone, you were saved by a faith that was alone. Like a faith that didn't really have impact on your life, a faith that was just kind of a mental ascent to some doctrines. And James reacts very strongly against this. He says, no, that's not true. And his picture, again from Abraham, the common ground, is Genesis 22, where Abraham is willing to take his son Isaac, the son of the promise, up onto a mountain and sacrifice him because that was God's command. He, he's explaining that through this story we see, look, Abraham's faith that he's had since Genesis 15 that God counted as righteousness, look how that played out. Like, merely seven chapters later, he's willing to do anything that God commands him to do including and up to sacrificing the son that God gave him. And so James looks at this picture and looks at this story and he says, look at Genesis 15. Look at the proof that Abraham's, like that, that the confession of Genesis 15 is legitimate. Abraham is willing to trust and follow God in his actions no matter, no matter what the cost, no matter what the command. So to bring it back together, Paul is talking about how we are initially saved by faith. There, there is no work that we can do that can make us more or less saved. James is talking about how when we are saved, it will impact how we live. And if it doesn't impact how we live, if, if faith does not play out in good works, there's some reasonable questions to ask about the material of that faith. Um, I think in these points, Paul and James are actually on the same wavelength. Like, I, I, I think they're, they're talking on the same frequency. Um, because if, you, if we go back to Romans, I don't know if you're still in Romans 4, but two chapters later, in Romans chapter 6, Paul starts talking, kind of, I'm sorry, I have to apologize. I uh, put my bookmark in the wrong place. Um, two chapters after Romans 4, where Paul is explaining salvation is by faith, it's not about what you do. Paul starts talking about and addressing the situation that James is addressing. Um, he, he starts discussing what to do in the case of someone thinking, oh, I'm saved, so I can sin now. 
Like, I'm saved, so let me just go do whatever. And this is what he says. This is Romans 6, verses 1 and 2. Paul says, what shall we say then? Shall we go on sinning so that grace may increase? By no means, in in absolutely no universe. We are those who have died to sin. How can we live in it any longer? So when Paul comes to the same discussion that James is having, when, when Paul addresses the idea that salvation could mean freedom to sin, he says, absolutely not. That, that doesn't follow at all. If, if we're saved by faith, if we're saved by God himself sending his son to die for us, that's going to play out in how we live. That's going to play out in our works. F- faith in his estimation leads to faithful works. I mean, the, the whole second half of Romans, a, a huge part of the book of Romans is about how Christians are supposed to live. Um, Romans 12, 1 and 2 talks about how our bodies are supposed to be living sacrifices to God. To Paul, faith also led to works. And that's what James is saying. Like, James would agree with this. The, the most confusing part of James 2 to me is verse 24, where he says, you see that a person is considered righteous by what they do and not by faith alone. That's odd. That, that's odd on first reading. But in understanding this, again, we have, to, we have to read the whole passage. Because if we go up to verse 14, we see what kind of faith James is talking about when he means faith alone. He says, what good is it, brothers and sisters, if someone claims to have faith but has no deeds? Can such faith save him? So when James says faith alone, he's talking about something different than what Paul says when he's talking about faith. Paul always in Romans is talking about the faith that produces works. Um, We see that as we read the book of Romans. Again, when James says faith alone, he's talking about this mental ascent. Um, He's talking about this, yes, sure, yes, I believe that. Now I'm going to go do what I was going to do anyways. And of that, James says that's what the demons believe. Like, yeah, the demons ascent to these certain things about God, but they shudder about it. It doesn't impact how they live. They hide from it. When we see that, like when, when we understand that that's what James is saying, it's completely obvious why faith alone wouldn't save. It's not true faith. And it's not true faith by James's definition, and it's not true faith by Paul's definition. So I guess like bringing it all the way around, James and Paul are not contradicting each other. I, I think we can say that confidently. Both of them believe that salvation comes through a faith that naturally plays out and works. Now, what is the point of that? Why did I spend 20 minutes resolving a, a, a theological issue? Um, it's your third blank on the sheet. Uh, it's, your, your, it's the application point, and it's that faith produces faithfulness. Um, for us now, like, as, we, as we approach passages like this and make sense of them and then say, what do we do about that? Here's what it is. Like, our faith in Jesus can and should naturally lead to faithfulness in our lives. If it doesn't do that, if, if believing in Jesus does not impact the way that we live, it might be reasonable to look at ourselves. Um, it, it might be reasonable to take a long, hard look at ourselves and think, like, what do I believe? 
why is the message of Jesus not impacting my life? Um, I want to be super clear as I say this that like I'm I'm not speaking as the like holy one in the pulpit that's like gotten his head who might not actually believe the gospel and who probably does like I have nobody in my mind like did, really the, if I was going to have somebody in my mind it would just be me because there are lots of days when I don't wake up and think of Jesus as the one running my life like there are lots of days when I wake up and just go try to do my own thing that there are lots of days when when faith does not produce faithfulness in my life so I'm not saying that uh, there are certain people here who I'm thinking of. And I'm also, really, hear me super carefully. I'm not saying that you're saved by what you do at all. Like, I, I, that is the furthest thing from the truth. If we get to that point where we say, oh, I got to make sure I'm doing enough to be saved, we're right back at works righteousness. We're, we're right back to what Paul is addressing in Romans. All I'm saying is that the gospel is active. The gospel plays out. And if the gospel is not playing out, there are questions to ask. Um, it might be surprising that, that this is the guy that I quote here, uh, but you know who I think really understood this, this concept that faith produces faithfulness? Martin Luther. Um, I just mentioned at like 15, 20 minutes ago that Martin Luther wanted James out of the Bible. He, he had trouble with, with reconciling the book of James with salvation by faith alone. That's really interesting because he had a really clear understanding that faith produces faithfulness. This is like one of the most helpful, like timely quotes about faith I've ever read. Um, this is from Martin Luther's commentary on Romans, and this is what he says about faith. He says, yes, it is a living, creative, active, and powerful thing, this faith, Faith cannot help doing good works constantly. It doesn't stop to ask if good works ought to be done, but before anyone asks, it's already done them and continues to do them without ceasing. Anyone who does not do good works in this manner is an unbeliever. He stumbles around and looks for faith and good works, even though he does not know what faith or good works are, and yet he gossips and chatters about faith and good works with many words. So th- this is what I want you to leave with if there's only one thing, right? Like, why should we live out our faith? Like, why should we, why should we work to please God? Not because it's going to save us. Not at all. If you get into that headspace, please, please get out. Y- you will not be any more or less saved by what you do. We don't live out our faith because it saves us. We live out our faith because it's the natural response to the God who has saved us. The, the one who is willing to send his own son to be crushed in the way that we should have been. If we truly believe that and hold to that, living for it is the natural reaction. Um, when I preached this two years ago, I kind of ended with like a pithy quote. Um, I don't really consider myself very pithy, but I will, I will give you the statement that I formed. Um, and it brings back around that gospel class, class that I took about Jesus as Savior and King. I told you it would come back around. Um, if you can only remember one thing this week, like let it be that as we take James and Paul together and, and seek to understand the picture that they're both painting, we can see that our faith proclaims Jesus as our Savior and our actions proclaim Jesus as our King. 
think that's all I have this week. Uh, I thank you so much for bearing with me. This again, I, I'm going to pray. I think we'll have one more song. Um, and I will really welcome Matt coming back next week. I'm excited to see him again. So let me pray. Dear Lord, thank you so much for this Sunday. Um, thank you that it's always your spirit at work in your church. Um, thank you for the, the, the freeing thing that that is. Um, I pray that you'll bless this Sunday. Uh, I pray that you'll bless the rest of this day. Um, and I do pray, Lord, that we will live out our faith. Uh, I pray that we never fall into a headspace where we need to work this out so that God will love us more. Um, but it's always because of your love, Jesus, in saving us that we, that we work and we strive. Um, I love you, Lord. Please bless this day. Amen.